part two of chapter six of our search for a wilderness by mary blair Beebe. this librivox recording is in the public domain a day in the jungle near hoori the region about hoori consists chiefly of small but steep hills some isolated with a few hundred yards of flat land about them others close together and separated by deep narrow valleys with running water at the bottom all drain into hoorie creek which from the mine clearing runs in a fairly straight direction through flat marshy land to the barama river up which we had come the whole country is of course completely covered with a thick forest of good-sized trees which are heavily draped with vines and parasitic plants although these are not dense enough to shut out the sunlight thus in many places a heavy undergrowth is found making it difficult to get about while the steep ascents and equally precipitous descents into the numerous intersecting valleys make extended exploration an arduous task especially in the directions away from hoorie creek but in this land of superabundant life one needs but a short walk to fill one's notebook with interesting facts let us spend a day in the jungle in light marching order with glasses and notebooks only we started out in the direction of the great pit of golden gravel and finding nasua the coolie we persuaded him to pan a few shovelfuls of earth from the surface of the ground within reach of the spray of the water spouting up towards us it was fascinating to watch his slender deft fingers and his skillful manipulation of the gold pan filling it to overflowing with gray or red clay he half sank it beneath the surface of a little pool and began rocking and turning it soon the large pebbles were all eliminated and only a muddy sediment left this was washed and revolved until there seemed nothing but clear water when as the last dirt was flowing over the rim there came the flash of the golden grains pressing his fingers on these the pan was reversed for a moment and then dipping his fingertips in the clear water of our glass vial the yellow grains sank swiftly to the bottom sometimes only a half penny's worth would reward us while again as much as a shilling's value would be shown passing over the ridge we saw before us a deep and very narrow valley with precipitous sides down which we slid and crawled hanging on to vines and saplings to break our descent at the bottom we found an interesting advance in the evolution of gold mining over the simplest form of gold panning two blacks were operating a long tom which in mining vernacular is the name for a six by two heavy coarse metal sieve set obliquely in the channel of a small brook the gold bearing gravel and clay is shoveled into it and puddled with a hoe and the gold settles to the bottom to be later panned thus division of labor enters in one black shoveling while his partner puddles we asked them how much they were getting out and as usual they said almost nothing or a few shillings worth at the most 
this was to avoid any danger of their tiny holdings being considered too valuable and taken away from them mr wilshire took a pan here on another day and unearthed a tiny nugget worth perhaps two shillings much to the blacks discomfiture who hastened to explain that such an opulent find was indeed rare the poor fellows at best make little enough and it was pitiful to see the tiny packets of gold dust which they brought to the company's store at the end of the week to exchange for food or credit checks the universal guianan name for this type of independent miner is pork knocker the explanation being that by knocking the rocks to pieces they find just enough gold to procure the pork upon which they live they are allowed to work on side streams near the large mining operations their total taking of gold being relatively insignificant while they sometimes locate valuable deposits in the course of their wanderings they are a jolly happy-go-lucky type apparently careless of their luck and invariably optimistic of the future a naturalist would find it difficult to keep his attention fixed on pan or long tom in this narrow glade for great iridescent blue morpho butterflies are floating about everywhere among the lights and shadows from some tall trees a continual shower of whirling objects are falling some white others purple catching one we find it to be a narrow petaled five-parted star-like blossom petroia arborea weighted by a slender stem when thrown up into the air they revolve like horizontal pinwheels falling slowly and forming a most remarkable rain of color forcing our way up the opposite slope and on through the underbrush we come out on a corduroy road half a mile from the mine as a corduroy sapling turns and splashes the water underfoot a cloud of orange and white butterflies arises and scatters through the woods suddenly through the warm damp stillness there rings out a piercing three-syllabled cry which was to become for us the vocal spirit of the guiana wilderness day after day we heard it wherever the unbroken primeval forest reigned but never near the haunts of man this with the roar of the red baboon and the celestial theme of the quadrille bird forms the trilogy most cherished in our memory of all the guiana sounds we are listening to the call of the gold or green heart bird another member of the cotingas or chatterers which is as remarkable for its voice as it is lacking in brilliant colors loud as the call is it is very ventriloquial and difficult to locate when directly beneath the sound it seems to come from the tops of the highest trees a hundred feet up whereas in all probability the bird is not more than twenty-five feet above our heads it sits motionless but the violence of its utterance makes the whole branch vibrate we soon learn that to search and find the bird directly is impossible but by letting the eyes take in as large a field as possible 
the vibration from the vocal effort is easily discernible the male goldbird is uniformly ashy or slate colored slightly darker above very solitaire like both in color and size the female is distinguished by a shade of rufous on the wing coverts and the tips of the flight feathers with such coloring it is not strange that the bird becomes invisible amid the dark shadows of the lower branches the natives know this bird as the ppo from its call and goldbird from the fact that all pork knockers believe it is never found far from deposits of gold while the theory that it usually utters its call from a green heart tree accounts for its third name its note is typical of our american tropics where highly developed song is rare but single loud metallic or liquid syllables are the rule the bird has two introductory phrases which heretofore seem to have escaped the notice of observers indeed until one noticed the invariable sequence of the two sets of notes it would never be suspected that they proceeded from the same bird the introductory phrases are low and muffled and yet have considerable carrying power they possess the indescribable vibrating chord-like quality of the viri's song which defies all description almost instantly follow the three notes of the call or song they are of tremendous strength and exceedingly liquid and piercing the nearest imitation is to whistle the syllables whee whee oh as loudly as possible we never tire of listening the bird overhead calls so loudly that our ears tingle another answers then a third and a fourth far away in the dim recesses of the forest many miles inland near the wonderful plateau of roraima lives another species of gold bird similar to ours except for a bright rosy pink collar around the neck we saw nothing of this beautiful cotinga but one of the gold birds which we secured has a distinct but irregular collar of rufous hinting of a not distant relationship a short distance along the corduroy road we came upon a half dozen naked indians cutting away underbrush preparatory to making a new road bed it was a delight to watch their sinewy bodies bend and strain moving here and there through the thorns and sharp twigs with never a scratch they came across many curious creatures among the rotting trunks and leaf mold and when they learned we were interested they would tie their captives with liana threads or imprison them in clever leaf boxes and save them for us the most weird looking of these were gigantic whip scorpions or pedipalp spiders Admetus pumilio, like Brobdignanian daddy long legs, which crawled painfully about on their slender legs and never showed an inclination to bite. They were of great size, stretching some eight and a half inches across. The three hinder pairs of legs were normal and used for walking, while the fourth pair was attenuated and functioned as feelers, the whips measuring full ten inches in length. The jaws were most terrible organs, 
three inches long dovetailed with wicked spines while the tips ended in villainous fangs a few hundred yards further we came to a small clearing where the squaws were cooking dinner the houses of these happy people are of the simplest construction four poles support a roof covered with loose palm thatch open on all sides the hammocks are hung beneath this and an open fire is built in the center the guiana indians are unequaled exponents of the simple life in the deep jungle we are constantly impressed with the straightness of all the trunks the lianas and bush ropes may be scalloped or spiral or with a multitude of little steps like the monkey ladder and still easily reach the life-giving light high overhead but the trees can afford no bends or curves or gnarly trunks they rise like temple columns cell must be on cell each to aid in the life race upward there are seldom high winds here in the great calm hothouse everywhere between the great trunks whitish in the crabwood smoothed and noted in the congo pump and deeply fluted in the paddle woods beneath all these mast-like forms are draped the slender ratline threads and cables of the aerial rigging we seat ourselves on a prostrate trunk free of scorpions at one side of the corduroy road and watch and listen beside us on a tiny dull red mora sprout eating voraciously is a caterpillar branched and rebranched with a maze of nettle hairs while near it is another a fuzzy fellow who gives us one of the most unexpected surprises of the whole trip as we first see him he is palest lavender in color covered with long straight hairs longer than those of our familiar black and brown woolly bear caterpillar of the north five minutes later we look again and see a third caterpillar or no it is the second one but remarkably changed a creature flat and immovable covered with a score of recurved pink tufts of curled hair the caterpillar chameleon has flattened his long pelage of lavender into a thin line of prostrate down bringing into view the recurved pink tufts and thus has become an entirely different object both as to shape color and pattern there must be a special set of muscles controlling these hairs even if a bird had appetite to digest such an unsavory sweet object it would well be dismayed at the transformation everywhere we observe examples of protective form or coloration on the underside of a branch in front of us are what appear to be many tufts of blackish moss until we brush against some of it and a few of the tufts resolve into dense bunches of caterpillars others which we touch on purpose to see if they be caterpillars or not deceive us doubly by retaining their vegetable character on the ground at our feet are scattered seed sheaths which have fallen from the branches high overhead there are myriads of them 
suddenly one takes legs to itself and moves and only after examining it closely do we know it for a beautiful brown elater a beetle semiotus ligneus embossed with pale ivory a perfect living counterpart of the arboreal seed sheaths strewn all about words completely fail to give an idea of the wonder and delight of having one's senses set at naught by these devices of nature after being taken in by several we imagine we see them everywhere in innocent leaves or a bit of lichens many travellers wallace and bates among them speak often of the scarcity of flowers in the tropics but here at hoori and on our later expeditions we were hardly ever out of sight of blossoms a few feet behind us as we sit on the log are two solomon seal-like plants castus species eighteen inches high with the stem and leaves growing in a wide ascending spiral making one revolution throughout its course a sheaf of flower heads appears at the top of the plant with a single white open flower giving forth the sweetest perfume bell-shaped it is formed by a single sweeping petal the edges opposed along the summit and the mouth rimmed with the finest hair-like fringe the slit in the upper part is protected by a second narrow petal recurved at the tip showing the heart within such a blossom would be a splendid addition to our conservatories and a vast harvest awaits the grower of tropical plants other than orchids now the morning half gone rain falls a gentle mist light as dew refreshing and pleasant through the drops to the blossom comes a great morpho butterfly of blue tinsel soon followed by a big yellow papilio a tiny white butterfly bordered with black dashes up and attacks the papilio with fury driving it away as a kingbird vanishes a hawk just as we are about to arise a gold bird calls in the distance and then without warning a beautiful song rings out close at hand six or eight clear descending notes like the early morning chant of the woodhewer but even more liquid running together at the last into a maze of warbling which continues for eight or ten seconds then ceases and the liquid notes form an exquisite finale of a trio of sweet phrases the singer is invisible we never learn what it is but it deserves a place near the head of the songsters even of temperate climes as we walk along toucans and other birds fly high overhead with whirring beats of their drenched wings woodhewers loop from trunk to trunk and peer at us as we pass while ant birds fly here and there in all our tramps through thick jungles these two latter families are in the majority the former hitching up the trunks like brown woodpeckers of various sizes the latter simulating wrens warblers and sparrows in action and often in voice one a white-shouldered pygmy ant bird now flits ahead of us tiny as a wren 
slate colored with white dots on the lesser coverts of the wings and a dotted bar across the wings the flanks and underwings are white and although ordinarily concealed yet the little fellow flirts his wings every second thus flashing out the color and making himself most conspicuous his call note is low and inarticulate but he occasionally lisps a pleasing little song choo choo chewee we enter a deep narrow gully our feet sinking deep in moss and mold trip over a hidden root and looking back see a magnificent rhinoceros beetle which we have disturbed feebly kicking his six legs in the air in these deep valleys the air is saturated with reeking odors woody spicy and mouldy and altogether delightful moss grows on the stems of the plants like wide radiating fans of delicate green lace in these places we find the commonest palms which grow near hoori stemless with fronds springing fern-like from the ground leaving the vicinity of the trail we start out through the heart of the jungle keeping by compass in a general northwest direction here the trees increase in size and grow almost thirty feet apart the intervening space being filled with lesser growth parasitic lianas and huge ferns eight to twelve feet in height tree ferns in size but not in mode of growth the rain now increases and we plod happily along drenched to the skin giving ourselves up to the delight of a walk in a tropical downpour serenely oblivious of pools and dripping branches we trudge along until finally a tacuba over a creek breaks with our weight and we splash in up to our waists indeed we had long ago become accustomed to such drenchings for during our stay at hoori the days were alternate sunshine and shower in starting out for a long tramp we never thought of taking any protection against the rain the only thing to be shielded was the precious camera what matters a wetting when one is perfectly dressed for whatever may happen a word must be said here from the woman's point of view about the costume which was adopted as being absolutely suited to the bush life in the first place it was light so light that one never felt the burden of a single superfluous ounce of weight and when thus freed from the drag of heavy clothing one would come in unfatigued from tramps which would have been impossible for a woman in orthodox dress no matter how short the skirt but in the light khaki knickerbockers loose negligee shirts of scotch flannel or fibrous cellular cloth stockings and tennis shoes and a waterproof felt hat one was ready for anything if soaked by a sudden downpour a few minutes walk in the sun would dry one if walking difficult tacubas or clambering over huge fallen trees of which there were any number throughout the forest or climbing precipitous and slippery hills one was never hampered by unsuitable dress of course there are many wildernesses where it is unnecessary for a woman to wear knickerbockers 
and there is no reason why she should defy public prejudice by doing so but the woman who attempts to tramp through the south american jungle will find that safety and comfort make them absolutely essential one realized as never before with what handicaps woman has tried to follow the footsteps of man with the result that physical exhaustion has robbed her of all the joys of life in the open returning to our day in the jungle we tramped silently over the sodden ground now and then sending some panic-stricken macaw or parrot screeching from its roost after an hour the rain ceased and the sun shone brightly but where we were many yards beneath the vast mat of treetop foliage only single spots and splashes of light broke the solid shadows for a long distance we trod silently on deep mold and moss and not a sound of beast or bird broke the stillness as we were crossing a swirling creek on the trunk of a mighty fallen tree something fluttered ahead we could not see what it was closer we came and still the object remained indistinct we seemed to see a butterfly and yet it appeared impossible at last we marked it down on a fern frond and crept up until our eyes were within two feet nothing was visible but the graceful lacery of the frond until a slanting beam of sunlight struck it and there close before us was the ghost of a butterfly it spread fully three inches but was wholly transparent save for three tiny spots of azure near the edge of the hind wings hytera piera as we looked it drifted to a double-headed flower of scarlet and when it alighted the scarlet of the flower and the green of the leaf were as distinct as if seen through thin mica while the faint gray haze of the insect's wings were marked only by the indistinct venation the appearance of this ghostly butterfly amid the silence and awe-inspiring stillness of the reeking jungle was most impressive then came an interruption so sudden and unrelenting that it seemed to reach to the very heart of nature a red baboon raised his voice less than fifty yards away and even the leaves seemed to tremble with the violence of the outburst of sound a long deep rasping vibrating roar followed by a guttural inhalation hardly less powerful after a dozen connected roars and inbreathings the sound descended to a slow crescendo almost died away and then broke out with renewed force we crept swiftly toward the sound treading as softly as possible and soon in a high bullet wood we saw three of the big red monkeys the male passed on out of sight and the second a medium-sized animal followed the third was a mother with her baby clinging tightly to her back she climbed slowly showing her rich light golden red fur and beard while the arms and legs of her dark-furred baby were revealed as lines of darker color around her body twenty minutes later we stalked another roaring male 
and found four in this troop. We saw two of the females giving voice with the leader, shrill falsettos, which became audible only during the less deafening inspiration. We tried to think of a simile for the voice of this monkey, and could only recur to that which always came to mind, the roar of wind ushering in a cyclone or terrific gale. And yet there was ever present to the ear the feeling of something living, as if mingled with the elemental roar was the howl of a male jaguar. No sound ever affected us quite as this, seeming always to prestige some unnamed danger. While it lasted, the sense of peace which had been inspired by the calmness and silence of the jungle gave place to a hidden portent of evil. Yet we loved it, and the savage delight which we took in this and other wilderness sounds made our pulses leap. End of part two of chapter six.